0: We know that when God called Moses, and we're looking at Deuteronomy for nine weeks, but before we get to that, when, when God called Moses, Moses went to Pharaoh. And you know those famous words, let my people go. And then the plagues came, and uh, then there's the escape through the Red Sea, and then there was the the covenant, the law being given at Sinai, and then the story goes on. Before we get to where we're at in Deuteronomy, the spies were sent into the promised land, a man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it was a tribe of Ephraim and Judah who come back, Israel and Judah, who come back to say we can do it, Caleb and Joshua. It's a beautiful land, it's a land full of milk and honey, it's everything that God said this land would be for us. And yet, they took a vote, and the majority won. The ten said, they're bigger than us. They've got bigger wars. They've got bigger cities. And and so the people were gripped with fear. And because of their lack of faith and trust in the Lord, the Lord says, you will never enter my rest. Powerful, powerful words. The, The consequence of that was that whole generation bar a small group. Uh, Jake, uh, Caleb, Joshua, and, and some of his family, a small group, all of that generation were to wander the desert to die because they were a faithless generation. They had been brought through the plagues. They'd been saved from the angel of death. They'd escaped the great might of of the superpower, Egypt. They'd come through the Red Sea. They'd wandered those days up to uh, Sinai. They had seen the fire and the smoke from the mountain, were scared to approach God. They saw Moses come down with the commandments. And in all of that mighty, we often pray, Lord, if we would only have a sign, Lord, if we would only move in power. And yet the Lord moved in mighty power for his people to redeem them, to save them through the waters. And yet they were still a faithless, Generation. And God says, You will not enter my rest. And so that is where we are at. Moses has got a week to go before he dies. He knows this. He is not to enter the promised land either. Although in the transfiguration, he is there much later on. But to walk at that moment into the promised land with God's chosen people, this new generation, literally a new generation, he was not to do that. And so he writes down the law. He writes down the commands, the 613 laws from the Lord, and the laws which say, if you want to live well, follow these. And so that's where we're at in the story. And when we come to Deuteronomy 5, I'm going to ask Alistair if he would come up just now and just go straight into Deuteronomy chapter 5. Go for it, Alistair.
1: So, we're on page 104 on the Bible. It's a very long passage, so there might be a pause or two. 184. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and the laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. It was not with our fathers that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I stood between the Lord and you, to declare to you the word of the Lord because you were afraid of the fire and did not go up the mountain. And he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, (coughs) am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generations of these who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. (coughs) You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuse uses your name. (coughs) Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commended you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your manservant, or maid servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that you love your Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his manservant, maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. These are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to you while assembled there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud, and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me and you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now, why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord, your God, any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you we will listen and obey. The Lord heard you when you spoke to me and the Lord said to me, I have heard what this people said to you. Everything they say was good. Oh, that their breath would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. Go, tell them to return to their tents But you stay here with me so that I may give you all the commands, decrees, and laws that you are to teach them to follow in the land I'm giving them to possess. So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Amen.
0: Channel, can you give me that water up at your feet? Thanks. Thanks, pal. Just stop it there. So we have the mosaic covenant. That's what we have eh, before us, and ten of those eh, laws from the six hundred and thirteen. But what is a covenant? So I've got a Dofer here. Here we go. So. I'll come to that in a minute. minute. So, what is a covenant? Well, simply, as I put up there, very simply, a covenant is an agreement, is a contract between two parties. Very simple. And in the Bible, there are eight covenants. Some people reduce it to seven, but I've stuck with eight. And I'm going to go through very briefly what those eight covenants are. They're quite interesting, I think. Here's the first three. And these ones are called universal. In other words, They are covenants pertaining to everyone, not a specific person or a specific people exactly, but absolutely everyone. And the first one we have there is the Edenic uh, covenant, and we find that in Genesis chapter 2. Obviously, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they were commanded, you know, I've given you breath, I've given you dominion. God's allowing them to rule. So we're told to go and multiply, be fruitful. But very quickly, we know the story. It's part of the gospel. We failed. And the consequence of that fail is death. And we continue to live with the consequence of that failure to be obedient in relationship with the Lord. We have death. And we will continue to have death until Christ comes back and... Um, creates a new heaven, or makes or establishes the new heaven and the new earth, but death reigns upon all of creation. So, therefore, God created the Adamic covenant, and we find that in Genesis 3. After the fall, Satan, who is the cause of a great deal of the trouble, Satan, is cursed, but then comes grace. Where well, you have in Genesis three fifteen, the first glimpse of the sign of the Messiah. What is it? Uh, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your neck. I think that's what is in Genesis thirteen, uh, Genesis three fifteen. Sorry. So you have the the curse that uh, befalls Satan, but then the grace and the promise of the Messiah to the whole of mankind. And Adam and Eve, though, because of the consequence of that first, uh, of the fall and the breaking of, of that first consequence, have to toil. And it's hard. Life has to be hard for them. Um, but yet, uh, God uh, continues to be gracious by giving them clothing because they're aware of their nakedness. And then God says, in the end, because you've broken this, you will return to the dust. And then finally, you have got the, uh, the the Noahic covenant. We became, and I say we because it's part of our story, we became so corrupt that God sent the flood. Um, and God made this covenant between Noah and his family in Genesis chapter 9. And it's quite same as the covenant with uh, the Adamic covenant, uh, yet there is a little bit of uh, additional stuff to do with governance uh, of, of government to in, do their best to ensure that sin are subdued and have a, a good reign in society. But then at the end of that, which we all know, the rainbow, the promise that God will never wipe out his creation in such a way by a flood ever again. So all of these are called universal covenants. that. are all in Genesis right at the beginning. We know many of the stories from childhood or from studying God's Word. There's so much more to do with them, but that is very, very brief. Some of them are conditional, some of them are unconditional, but we're not going to get into any of that and the consequences thereafter. And then there is another five, and here they are here. And the very important thing to say right away that all of these covenants are directed to Israel. It's very important when you open up Scripture and you work out what's what's happening here, just as when you go to the theater, and an actor steps on uh, the stage, that actor has thought about what, you know, where the actor has come from that he's playing. There's a backstory. And so, whenever you open up Scripture, there's a backstory. God is speaking to a certain person, certain people, or all of us at certain times, and it's important to work that out. And in here, all of these five covenants are spoken to the people of Israel. The Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12 uh, through to 15. You've got the Mosaic covenant, which we have here, Exodus 19. I might have got my my scriptures wrong there, but stay with me. That should be from five onwards. Uh, The land covenant, sometimes called the Palestinian covenant, where God uh, says to Israel, you'll have the land for all times, it's yours. But because you're in covenant with me, you need to stay in relationship with me. And if you don't stay in relationship with me, I'll remove you from the land. It might be yours for eternity, but it doesn't mean you're going to be resident in that. And we know some of the history of Israel, up until the, was it 48, where they were, they were absent from the land completely, since AD 70, wiped out, scattered all across in judgment. Christ spoke about some of that. I'll tear down uh, the walls of, of the temple but I'll build it back up in three days. Two different things he's speaking about there, something historical, something that's got eternal consequences. But the land was promised to them, but there is, a, there is an agreement in that land that they must stick to. The Davidic covenant speaks about the kingship, speaks to David that someone will sit in his throne and that king will be in his throne for eternity and we know that that pertains now uh, to Jesus. And then you have got the new covenant spoken of in, in Jeremiah about how God will write his law in our hearts. He will make a new people. It will be from all the peoples, and not just specifically, but the seed of it, the root of it, eh, the branch of it will come through Israel. And these last five in particular are are theocratic. It's about the rule of God. We live in a democracy, the rule of the people. The vote to go into the promised land by the 12 tribes, in fact, by the whole of Israel, was done on a democratic principle. And yet, the ruler, the king, was God. And they should have been led by the Spirit, led by the fire and the pillars, and led by God's Word. But they decided that they would take a wee vote on the matter, and there was consequence and the whole generation died out. And every single theocratic covenant was made with Israel. So, I'll just finish off this tiny wee bit of teaching, and it's really been a tiny little bit of teaching. See, here are the eight covenants that we find in Scripture. And covenants tell something quite intrinsic about the character of God. Whether it be right in the first one or the last one They it reveals something about God's character. And the one thing I would just want to leave with you in your mind is this. It reveals His utter and complete faithfulness to his promises when God says he's going to do something he 's going to do it. we may have an issue with the timing of that we actually may have an issue with what promise God has made we may not like it, but he is God, and we are not God. He is the should be the center of all things and in worship, and it should not be us so covenants reveal uh, his heart, his utter and complete faithfulness to the things that he promises. So, all this stuff about covenant, for some of us, we're thinking, surely we are New Testament people. We are uh, under the, the covenant of grace. We don't have to worry about all of these things. They may have some historical purpose, but they're in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is covenant. In the New Testament is grace. Surely that is where we should be as a A church family? Well, I think Genesis through to Revelation reveals God's heart. Not Genesis through to the end of the Old Testament, revealing a a part of God's character, and then suddenly God gets a character transplant, and He's altogether different in the New Testament. That is just so far from the truth. The whole of Scripture, the covenants, the laws, the blessings, the curses, The crucifixions all reveal something intrinsic about God's heart, His character, and who He is. The Jesuit priest, uh, Donovan, Father Donovan, uh, I studied him a little bit when I was at Bible college many, many years ago. He was wonderful at going into South American countries in particular, living with the people, learning their cultures, and and naturally allowing the gospel to to speak into those cultures rather than bringing something from the West and trying to set it up in South America. And he says this, God meets you where you are at. And that's the first thing I want to note this morning. As we move from looking at covenants, now we move to look at grace. And some people again believe that there's something poles, that they are two sides of some, you know, the opposite ends of the spectrum hopefully today I get to the point and convince you that that's not the case, but we'll see how we go with that. Uh, Jesuit priest David Donovan says, God meets you where you are at. Look at Israel's story. It begins with God's unconditional gracious covenant with them, with Abraham. Remember we went back there and it was, um, oh, where are we? First time God makes a pact with this people is with Father Abraham. Um, And God promised to make Abraham into a great nation, a great nation that would go on and bless the world. Israel, um, who was Abraham's grandson, Jacob. So his grandson, Jacob, who was also known as Israel, went on to be known as Israel. God met him where he was at because uh, uh, Jacob, or Israel, was a deceiver. He deceived his brother Esau for the blessing of the first son. He was a manipulative little son of a gun. But God met him where he was at. He was in no way perfect. And so Israel inherited from his grandfather, from Isaac, from his grandfather, the blessing of the inheritance of the promised land. It passed from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob And then God used Joseph, we know Joseph and his multicolored dream coat, um, to bring Israel, um, who was his father, bring him into Egypt to save not just his father, but his other uh, 11 brothers, the other 11 tribes of Israel. He brought them from uh, the promised land, from from where they were at, into Egypt, because in Canaan there was a, a famine. Those... Well, you get Joseph, who was forced into slavery into a place of prominence. God promised that He would remain faithful to Abraham, and that He would make him into a great nation. And yet, here was one of the the brothers, one of the sons of Jacob, who was forced by his brothers into slavery. Talk about things not going well. And then. A, a famine happening in that land and then the 12 brothers with the farmer coming in to Egypt. And that is where we sort of picked up the story right at the beginning. Because they became prosperous in Egypt. So great with a number that Pharaoh and, and the Israelites became worried about them. And so forced them into slavery. Moses' story is somewhere weaved in there as well where he was educated, the best education in Egypt. And then he obviously saw what was happening to his, his people, Israel, and how they were being kept as slaves and all sorts of terrible things, and God raised him up. God works in incredible ways, and I know it's a cliche, but God promises, Abraham, I am going to do this with you. Your people are going to number incredible numbers. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. And he says that to an old man who was well by uh, an age where he could have children with his wife. So we see here, Eve, where, where they're at, Israel with deceivers, were being in slavery, were being forced off the land, were being poor and hungry with nothing, that God's grace gave birth to Israel. And in Exodus chapter, seven, uh, chapter 3, verse 7, it reads this. The Lord says, I in, have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their sufferings. Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 6 says this: I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then further on in chapter 7, 68. The Lord says, the Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people for his prized possession. Above all peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all the peoples But because the Lord loves you. God met the people of Israel where they were at and demonstrated his grace by saving them. It's so the first one I want you I to get there. God meets you where you are, and as an example, an incredible example, is this group of people called the Israelites, the Hebrews. And God has demonstrated his grace. But what is grace? You may say. A.W. Tozer says this, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving The good pleasure of God that he inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. That is a simple way of describing what grace is. And in that we quote from A.W. Tozer, there's two elements to it. First is this, God's goodness, God's favor, God's blessing, gifted to those people who do not deserve it on us. And it's a covenant there and it's an unconditional covenant. God says, I will bless you, irrespective of who you are, what you've done, or where you've been. I will bless you unconditionally. It's the new covenant. And remember, the Lord says to Israel, I chose you to be a people who would be prized above all the peoples in the earth. I didn't set my affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples, for you were fewest, or you were the least among your brothers. I did this because I love you, and that's grace. God bestows His grace, His love on us, the undeserving ones. You cannot pull your socks up to such a level that God thinks that is brilliant. I'm going to love you a wee bit more today. Doesn't happen. That's not what grace is. But back to, to um, uh, Father Donovan, and God meets us where we are at. You're wrong if you think, and I'm talking about you, I'm not I'm talking about us, I'm not talking about Israel now, I'm talking about Kira and Colin and Luca and, and Althea and us here, you are wrong if you think God won't accept me. If you think of Israel, God gave them, God blessed them, God called them out before he gave the law. All they knew up to this point was do whatever the Egyptian slave drivers tell you to do or there will be consequences. You will die. They will remove your straw from your bricks. And so therefore, do whatever they tell you to do. They did not know how to please God. God called them an undeserving people, bestowed a title, His blessing, His affection on them. That is grace. And it's the exact same with us. They had no rules they had no laws, they had no Ten Commandments, but God says, I will redeem you. That's grace. And this has always been God's pattern of working, and it always will be God's pattern of working. And if I could just digress slightly as a thought comes to my mind, especially to those of us who have walked with the Lord for many years and feel a burden that we have not progressed, We feel stuck. As many of us here. Our walk with the Lord is not like a game of snakes and ladders. You know that way when you land on um, a snake, you make a wrong move, a wrong throw of the dice, and lo and behold, you go from uh, box 98 down to 23. God isn't waiting for you to fail to punish. From Genesis to Revelation, God reveals his complete and utter commitment to his promises. He does not change, have a character, heart, personality transplant plan when he goes from uh, the, the Old Testament to the New to the New. And he bestowed on Israel favor and blessings because they were the least. He had compassion. He heard them when they were crying out and he redeemed them. And it's the exact same for you if you have been a believer for many years. You know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what it is to speak out for Christ. But for whatever it is, maybe it's intentionally and unintentionally with sin, you're stuck. Two steps forward, three steps back. Grace is given to us abundantly for us to journey through this to stress and strain towards the goal to which we've been called in Christ Jesus. So that's for those of us who who are long in the tooth when it comes to faith. But a few things I want to mention, I've got them up there. When it comes to God meets you where you're at, God doesn't expect you to be perfect before you can approach him, because he approaches you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? He approaches you. Go back to Genesis, right at the beginning, where it says that, and this is a David Barry paraphrase, where it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, or the Holy, the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos. We know God is holy, and He is without sin and cannot sin, but it does not mean that He steps back when we suddenly get a bit mucky, or life gets difficult, or we fall flat and muck up. From that might be bad theology, but in my mind anyway, I think God's attracted to that. God pursues us into the brothels. God pursues us into the pubs. God pursues us into our self-centeredness because He delights in us. Jesus has got dirt under His fingernails. So, don't think that you have to be, I need to know a certain amount or I need to behave a certain way for me to approach God don't you just love the fact, and forgive me for this, Alistair, don't you just love, and I chuckled, don't you just love the fact that Alistair came up and swigged from me an iron brew twice when he was reading scripture? <laughs> you don't need to do it every time, Alistair, but you know. <sighs> no heirs and graces, come as we are to worship. Naked and blind I come, clothe me in light. We sing these songs. So your house does not have to be put in perfect order before God will accept you, and I go back to Deuteronomy five, verse six. And there's only two verses I've been—I'm fo- going to focus on in the whole sermon. So forgive me. I am the Lord your God, verse six, who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I did it. I pursued you and brought you out before you even knew the Ten Commandments and the other six hundred and three grace. So you fail. Of course you do. You feel tension when you think about your standing before the Lord? Of course you do. You've not been a good husband. You've not been a good wife. You've not been a good human being. Maybe you think that God doesn't love you. Maybe you think that God doesn't accept you. God saved Israel and showed them how to live before the giving of the law. The law being, you want to follow me and live life in all of its fullness? Follow these and you'll know life in all of its fullness. They cried out, and God didn't respond by saying, first of all, obey the law, and then we'll see. No, 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 they cried out, and the Lord heard their cry. Where is it again? I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So God does something about it. God chooses to gift You and I with unmerited favor, unmerited grace, where we are at. And second is this. God meets you in ways that you can understand and you can appreciate. So if you're an introvert, and and believe it or not, I'm on the borderline of introvert and extrovert. Is that right, Sally and Ruth? We've explored all this. I'm in the borderline. When it's a good day, I'm an extrovert. When it's a bad day, I'm an introvert, maybe, or the other way around. But God meets you in a book. If if you're introverted, God meets you in your own company. God meets you away from the crowds. God meets you in the silence. If you're an extrovert, God meets you in the big event. God meets you in the crowd where you get energized. If you love the nature, God meets you in the hills or in the water, in the silence, in the bird. And I'm not meaning God is the burden, and God is the chair and God is a mountain, none of that stuff. God meets you where you are at. You don't have to, if you're an intellectual, you don't have to dumb down to get God. If you've not got a clue, and this is all French or Spanish or Swahili to you, God meets you there. My favorite, and I've told this again, but for those who have not heard it, My favorite picture in the offices of the Baptist Union, and the biggest one is one that was taken in Baptist Baptismal Service. That's the biggest one, Um, but my favorite one is one quite close to the gents' toilets, for whatever reason it's put there, and it's a young Down syndrome boy being baptized by his, his pastor. Why do you love it? Because his knowledge intellectually of the Lord will possibly be like that, and I don't want, I'm, I'm guessing it'll be like that, but he knows enough that God has rescued me, and I want to be obedient to Christ and follow him through the waters of baptism. I love that God meets you where you are at in ways you can understand, and that is grace. And just finally... And this is where you've got all the Ten Commandments, and I'm going to spend five minutes on it because I'm not going to get through them one after another. Althea did the best preach when it was the Ten Commandments, and I hopefully you remember. Seriously, I mean that. That was brilliant. What was that one? <coughs> <It> was brilliant. <coughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. Love it. And. Um, So what's with these Ten Commandments and the other 603 laws from Deuteronomy 5 through to to 26? Well, God establishes laws for living for those He loves. God has set this down. Sometimes we hear these laws in an aggressive manner. Maybe that's because we are in sin. We all fall short, you know, from that very first covenant. At the beginning, we have decided we want to be the center of our world and our attention, and we don't want it to be God. We want to choose and decide and be democratic and all of that sort of stuff. But God establishes rules for living uh, with those he loves. Think of about it this way. For my kids, I've got four kids. We, me and Miranda worked at it the best we could, but we developed rules for our kids. I did not develop rules for my neighbor's kids. Why? Because I've got no right to develop rules for my neighbor's kids at all. But I have got rights to develop rules and try to keep my kids to keep to them. I love them. I know them. And hopefully it helps in that analogy. God establishes rules for living for those he loves. And he loves all of humankind. And he presents the choice to everyone that they would willingly bow the knee And law is not the opposite of grace. Law is actually the extension of grace. The opposite of grace is lack of grace. Get what I mean by that? The very opposite of grace is when you show distinct lack of grace. But the law, the rules for good living, to live life in all of its fullness, is God extending grace. I've saved you. You're my people. You've called out to me. If you want to stay in fellowship with me, go this way. Or as Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me daily. My nanny had these rules in her bathroom. And this was the exact one. It's a picture of it. And one or two of you may have this. Please remember, don't forget, never leave the bathroom wet. Now leave the soap still in the water. That's a thing. We never utter. I'm forgetting it. Now leave the towels about the floor. and keep the bathroom. There more. When other folks are waiting one, please don't forget, it isn't done. My nanny, I, my nanny died when I was 10 or 12 or something like that, and I still remember it, and um, the why? Well, she was my nanny. She was a patriarch in my family. <coughs> she had every right to put that up in her bathroom, because it was her bathroom, and when we visited, and like going from where I grew up to my nanny's, it was like going into a different world, because everything was new and pristine and dusted, and so uh, we were learning by being in her house how to behave, how to brush her teeth and all of that. And that's not to the detriment of how my parents brought me up, but my nanny shopped at Marks and Spencer's in Goldberg's. <laughs> for those of you know what I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> God establishes laws for living for those he loves. And this is the life you are to live the type of people that you have to become, the sort of people that Adam and Eve were before the fall. And although because they've tasted the forbidden fruit, these laws for living, it sometimes can come across negative. But God says, these are for you. And the first four commandments are commandments towards God. To have no other gods, to make no image of God's, to misuse his name by our actions or by our words, to give one day and seven altogether to him and to rest and to let him have top place in our hearts. Jesus summarized it as you know in these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Holistic, not a wee compartment, all of it. God is, God delighted in David, who was an adulterer, who spoilt his kids, who was rash in all sorts of manner and ways, but he loved David because David was a man after his own heart. David knew what it was to walk in grace, King David. And the next six commandments are towards eh, mankind or humankind, to bring honor to our parents, to save life and not destroy it, to be fruitful about to be faithful about marriage, to respect and not to steal others' property, to tell the truth, to put covenants and envy to death and to be content. And Jesus summarizes that up by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. So even if you follow Jesus, <laughs> you are not perfect. You don't need me to tell you that. Will God disinherit you? what would my kids have to do to no longer be my kids? And the truth is, I don't have an answer for that. There is no answer for that. My kids cannot behave their way into a relationship with me. They can behave their way out of my house, truthfully, and and maybe some of you have had that experience. They can behave their way out of my pleasure but they cannot behave their way out of a relationship with me. I will always be their dad. They will always be my kids. You did not behave your way into a relationship with God and you cannot behave your way out of a relationship with God. He will always be your father, but will you know his rest and will you know his pleasure? So just finally, you are called by grace to the Jesus way, a way of living, which has laws of living, and you are invited to be God's, to be His people. He has redeemed you, and He has called you by name. Whether you are Scottish, English, Irish, Welsh, Polish, French, Romanian, Egyptian, and whatever. And in all of this, what is God's heart for you? What is behind the covenants? What is behind the law? And it is this, verse 29 of chapter 5. Oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it may go well with them. And their children forever to a thousand generations it's god's heart it's always been his heart it will always be his heart a heart calling us home a heart calling us into life in all of its fullness a heart calling us to kneel at the cross of calvary where it is finished it is complete it is done so that we would willingly bow the knees before his his son our savior jesus and confess by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is Lord. So where is your heart? Where is your heart? That is where your treasure will also be. Does your heart belong to God? Do you long to bring glory and joy to Him by obeying everything He's commanded you in His grace and mercy? Jesus says, by this, Put Lockery Baptist Church, you will be known as His disciples. Let's pray, if you want to come up just now. Let's pause as the musicians just get themselves ready and just be silent. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. He is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever. Give praise. Give praise. Faithful God, we thank you that uh, you've redeemed us. You've saved us. Saved us from ourselves. Saved us from power of the evil one, of the principalities that come against you, of the devil of death. And I thank you that by your Spirit, you're building us into a a new temple. Actually, you are making us your bride. I thank you, Father, for that picture and revelation where the bride of Christ, which is the church through all generations, will be presided. Presented to the bridegroom Jesus. I thank you for that picture of beauty and innocence at the beginning where you created the man and woman and united them into one. And how you will bring all things into that perfect union once again that covenant, that marriage, your church throughout all generations, and Jesus united as one. Heirs and co heirs, a, a royal priesthood. Because, Lord, your promises are yes and amen. You're faithful in all the things that you do. Help us to walk with you faithfully and in grace and mercy. Help us to be patient, to trust, and to be known as faithful as you have always been known as faithful. We ask that you do that in the name of Christ. And Father, for some of us here who are just trying to work all of this out, I pray that you would open minds hearts to to the knowledge of the cross, the power of the cross, the victory of the cross. By your Spirit, you would bring to life again newness of life in that person, that they would bow their knee before Jesus, confess him as Lord, and know what it is by the Spirit to say, Abba, Father, and mean it with all
1: of their heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.